You're listening to a podcast edition of Closer to Truth. For more information about this series, visit our website, closertotruth.com. I want to believe in God, but religion stops me. Maybe religion has less to do with God than we think. Some claim that religion needs nothing supernatural, that religion without God can form and flourish. To others, the claim is blasphemous. God exists and religion is God's revelation. All agree that religion affects humanity profoundly. Why is religion a force so powerful? Even those who believe in God should understand how personal psychology and group sociology drive religion. Can religion be explained without God? I'm Robert Lawrence Kuhn, and Closer to Truth is my journey to find out. I begin in Cambridge, Massachusetts, with philosopher Daniel Dennett, whose pioneering book, Breaking the Spell, describes religion as a natural phenomenon. No one naturalizes religion better than Dan. We meet in a church, Dan's suggestion. Dan, how would you define a religion? Well, I define religion as belief in a supernatural agent or agents whose approval is to be sought. Mm -hmm. If we understand that as what religion is, then the question of whether God exists is actually, I think, of less importance than, uh, to, to the modern world than maybe it once was. I think we have to think not just historically, but biologically. We have to realize that Homo sapiens, us, we descended from earlier hominids. We have a share a common ancestor with a chimpanzee going back about six million years. A lot has changed. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so let's look at the history as best we can and see what religion adds to the mix that makes us so different from all other animals. And I think we can do that. I think we can see both what its origins were in superstition, which grew out of a, an overactive adoption of the intentional stance. And this, by the way, is a mammalian feature we share with, with, say, dogs. If your dog hears the thud of snow falling off the roof and jumps up and barks, <laughs> the dog is, in effect, asking who's there. Not what's that, but who. It's assuming there's an agent, might be a dangerous agent out there. This assumption that when something surprising, unexpected, puzzling happens, to treat it as an agent until you learn otherwise. That's the intentional That's stance. That's the intentional stance, and it's it's an instinct, not just in us. And, and it's an appropriate one. It's an, it's, it's one an entirely appropriate instinct. I don't, I don't want to get eaten if exactly. I'm running around on but the plane. it's on a hair trigger. Yeah, yeah. And so it has to happen instantly or it's not right, going to work. That's right. You don't want to 
wait around with this. You want to have a lot of false positives, a lot of false alarms. Right. Now, in the dog, the dog just goes back to sleep after a minute. But we, because we've got language, we mull it over in our heads, and pretty soon we've conjured up a hallucinated agent, a little forest god or a talking tree or an elf or something. Well, what made that noise? Now, mostly those are just harmless little quirks that we have in our heads and we soon forget them. Every now and then, one comes along which has a little bit more staying power. It's sort of unforgettable. And so it grows and we share it with a neighbor. And the neighbor says, what do you mean, a talking tree? No, there's no talking trees. You say, yeah, yeah, I, I could have sworn that tree was talking. Pretty soon the whole village is talking about the talking tree. Maybe they're all saying, it's crazy, no such thing as a talking tree. But they're all talking about the talking tree. The talking tree idea has entered the world. It has made multiple copies. <laughs> Everybody in the village has a copy of the talking tree idea. What's it for? It's for itself. It's just, it just happened because it could. It's, 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 like a, it's like a virus. When I first started studying religion, people said, oh, an evolutionary account of religion. What do you think religions are good for, Dan? Uh, they got to be good for something. After all, every, every human group that's ever been studied uh, has some kind of religion. And I said, well, yeah, every group that's ever been studied has the common cold, too. What's it good for? It's good for itself. And these ideas are just good for themselves. They're good at reproducing in minds. It starts out as, as it were, wild superstitions that happen just because they can. They're getting in the cracks of our cognitive machinery. Then they're around, they can be used. People begin appreciating them. People begin to use them for other purposes, and now we're on our way to organized religion. And the ones that we see, the ones that have the, the big budgets and the big churches and the history of music and all the rest, those are the hardy survivors of a very large competition. So if we think about all the features of religions, from a biological, more particularly an evolutionary point of view. We see lots of design features that are otherwise sometimes a bit, a bit baffling, I think. Um, and I think that these features haven't been, as it were, consciously, deliberately designed for the most part by, you know, clever priests, say. No, it's just that the religions that happen to have this mutation did better than the religions that didn't. <laughs> And so they, they spread themselves better than the religions that didn't have them. To Dan, religion is explainable by modern methods of social science. And there's no residual, nothing left hanging. There's no need or room for God. I like Dan's arguments. I buy them all. But still I wonder, even if religion is entirely of human origin, does it then follow that there is no God? I'll speak with a theologian who appreciates religion as a social construct, but who also believes in God. I go to Princeton Theological Seminary to meet Wenzel von Husting, professor of theology and science an ordained minister and an expert on theological anthropology, Wenzel seeks ancient origins of religion. 
I think we need to understand that for many people, uh, these ancient traditions in their contemporary or ancient forms uh, represent a kind of a more uh, to to life and how it makes sense, how to make sense of um, our own vulnerability and of death and suffering. Uh, I also think uh, religious traditions in their many ways, in spite of the many harms they've done, are great incentives for, for ethical behavior. We can make a, a strong scientific arguments why religion can function perfectly well without God. But for getting God back into the picture, science is not going to be helpful. That is always going to be a deeply personal uh, a commitment. So you happily accept all the scientific evidence but then add to it a, a personal dimension which then uh, changes its character into a, 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 a social process that involves God. I am deeply impressed and, and overwhelmed by science. But at the same time, I don't know if I need, as a theologian and a philosopher, do I need to ex accept that uh, empirical methodology should have the absolute final last word in explaining away religion or explaining the, away that, God. That's the core issue yeah. because can you, can you go beyond the empiricism because science says you have no evidence. Yeah, that's right. But I, uh, what I'm also saying is that science uh, has also now no reach uh, uh, beyond that, uh, uh, that empiricism that itself uh, professes, but strong commitments to the content uh, uh, of what it is we believe about. Uh, that, I, uh, I think, is uh, a very, uh, very clear commitment to, to religious traditions and, and to the kind of God or gods uh, that we believe in. That is not something that evolutionary psychology uh, or neuroscience can explain to me or argue me out of, if I can put it like that. What about the pervasiveness of religion? Is this a helpful data to support your view that there's maybe something behind this, beyond its, uh, its, its, its social manifestations? Yes, but not in the sense that I, you know, the more we find religion, the, the more likely is it to, for God to exist. I'm, I'm not saying that. If our most ancient ancestors, as we now know, uh, had a very clear sense of, of, of symbolic activity, ritual, uh, religious faith in some uh, prehistoric form, if that is true, it is still true. Uh, people the world over are still religious. That's not an argument for God, but it is an argument for what it is that we humans, uh, or most of us, uh, feel we need. I'm very willing to prune back all kinds of excessive or extravagant uh, Baroque-type beliefs, uh, but I don't think it goes to the heart of uh, the spiritual sense that, uh, that I find uh, would be so important for large groups of people. Wenzel admits that religious belief is a natural and continuing human need. But then he gives credence to the content of that belief, deeply personal connections to the divine. But to do so, Wenzel must reach beyond empiricism, venture beyond science. To dig further into the origins and causes of religion, I go to Oxford, to the Pitt Rivers Museum, where, amidst anthropological artifacts of human culture, I meet psychologist Susan Blackmore. 
Sue's an expert on how certain cultural ideas, called memes, grow and propagate and take hold of people's minds. Sue, how do you see the origin of religion? Religion seems to go back to, to the earliest cultures we know of, but not in its monotheistic form we get later. It starts with wanting control over the universe. You know, here we are, hapless beings in a, in a universe that's huge and uncontrollable. We want ways of controlling it. Invent some spirits and try to understand why rocks are this way and animals that way and the rain comes. It begins there. That's the ground of it all. But at some point, there's enough people around in the world that there are competing ideas about God, competing memes. What's a meme? Meme is any information that's copied from person to person. The idea really is to treat all of this, all of cultural uh, uh, products, in the same way one might treat biological products. They've come about because of the competition between different um, memes. So we can take baskets as memes. I mean, here's a mad, wonderful display of baskets. They've all competed. Those are the winners. They're here. And then there are competitions for songs and jokes and playground games and well, clothes. Hey, you know, yeah. we're, we're, these are the winners today. Um, so religions are like that too. They compete to, to infect people's brains and get passed on to more people. What makes a successful religion? Well, one that seems to bring the rain, yes. But at some point, a couple of thousand years ago, we started some major religions which evolved to have some really, really nasty tricks. So if you look at the, the major religions on, on the planet today, particularly the Judeo-Christian traditions, you see the most incredibly uh, well-evolved memeplexes, complexes of memes that hang out together. So if you take Christianity, for example, at the heart of this are a whole lot of intrinsically unbelievable things, you know, um, the virgin birth, the, you know, the, there's this man who, who was born of a virgin, but he's got a father, well, he's, yeah, he's a father, but he's not that sort of father, you know, um, and he lived this amazing life, and he brought people back from the dead, and he's ascended into heaven, and, you know, things that, you know, frankly, if someone told you, you wouldn't believe them. Why do people go around believing these things? That all these ideas are packaged in with a very clever package. They're basically a copy-me instruction backed up with threats and promises. So you are taught from very young, when you've got almost no mimetic immunity um, and haven't got the skills of argument, you're infected with these things very young. And you're told, basically, you've got to take on these ideas, you'll be good if you pass them on to other people, and if you do, well, yeah, think up some heaven. I mean, you know, that's the promise and the threat, of course, you know, toasting forks and pits of sulphur and, and so on. And in Islam, the same, you know, amazing. If you, if you die pro propagating these memes, you'll get so many virgins and, you know, and what women get. Um, and if you don't, you know, there's, you'll be lashed with rods of iron. Just like, you know, genes are wrapped up in chromosomes and inside cells and so on. These are packaged. You've got to learn, as if you're a Catholic, you have to learn the catechism all at once and you put on your white dress. And, you know, these ceremonies keep the, the traditions together to discourage people from picking and choosing. Because once you start to pick and choose, the memeplexes lose their power. Once you bring, you know, ordinary rationality to bear on these things, you know, they look ludicrous, don't they? You know? um, and they're very infectious. And there's room for only one per brain because it encompasses, you know, so much of, of, of regulation of one's life. You get this one infected and it takes over a whole lot of jobs in your brain, giving you a meaning in life, giving you a reason to get up in the morning, giving you a social life. 
Once you understand how the memes of religion work, you can see the awful effects they have on the earth and how difficult it is to get rid of them. But wouldn't it be nice if we could just let go of believing in those daft things? Sue sees religion as almost all bad, founded on false, silly promises and empty, vile threats. But because religion is empowered by memes, these infectious, parasitic ideas that lock minds and control belief, religion can commandeer belief systems, institutionalize itself, and jump generations. To explain religion without God, memes are crucial. So I'll put them to test. Because memes are based on viruses, I go to Cambridge to meet Dennis Alexander, a biologist and a believer. I provoke Dennis, who is director of the Faraday Institute for Science and Religion. I question how he defends religion against the explanatory onslaught of memes. This metaphor has no substrate. We don't actually absorb ideas, especially complex ideas, as a sort of viral invasion of our brains. And actually, somebody has likened memes to, to kind of medieval ideas of demonology. You know, in, in medieval times, people used to keep the window closed. They were afraid if they had the window open, this uh, terrible sort of, you know, demon would come in and infect their brain, you know, and do terrible things to them without them knowing. And when you read some of this sort of language, the anti-kind of religious rhetoric of the memologists, you know, you almost have a feeling th these are the medieval demons. But in reality, you know, we have beliefs which we have to justify, we have to think about, we have to give reasons for, we have to rationalize about. And that's why I think the, the meme sort of rhetoric doesn't work very well for me, actually. You would see, though, religious beliefs as fulfilling psychological and sociological group needs. Yeah, we are social animals. And, you know, when a bunch of skeptics and atheists get together to listen to a well-known speaker supporting their atheism, they'll have a group cohesion, you know, they'll feel good about it. They go away with their beliefs supported. They feel happier, probably, you know, that there is no God and their atheism has been kind of nurtured in this group activity. And when people go to a football match, they get nurtured in their enthusiasm for football, or whatever it might be. And when people go to church, clearly the same processes are going on. But at the end of the day, none of that tells us about the, the true status of what's being done, you know. So in essence, we're saying that religion can be of sorts explained without God. But the question is, even though you're explaining it, are you really finding out whether there's a fundamental reality to it? That's right. I think all we can do is give descriptions. You know, we as scientists can come along to a religious believer when they're believing in God and we can measure their brain waves and we can kind of look at the body from all kinds of points of view. But at the end of the day, that doesn't actually tell us whether those beliefs are actually the case or not, whether they're true or not. Um, and it wouldn't for a scientist either. I mean, we, this, we could do the same for the scientist in the lab, you know. We could hook him up, to, you know, and look at his brain waves, but it wouldn't tell us whether his son or her scientific theories are true. And, and valid. We have to look at those based on data, on evidence, and on other criteria. And so that's the way it is. <laughs> a Christian and a scientist, Dennis agrees that the methods of science can analyze the activities of religion, but disagrees that the findings of science can adjudicate the reality of religion. I respect the clarity of categories, 
differentiating religious behaviors from transcendent truths. But this internal consistency, which generally I like, here shields religion from any assault, making religion impossible to challenge. That I don't like. Anything impervious to scrutiny troubles me. So in my anxiety, I turn to a skeptic. Michael Shermer is an expert on belief systems. The founder of Skeptic Magazine, he's the author of Why People Believe Weird Things. Michael, religion is a fact. Can it be explained without God? Oh, sure. So, religion as a social institution can be explained like any other social institution, political institutions or economic ideologies and structures and businesses and corporations. It's just in that same category. And you can still believe in God and believe that. Um, where it gets interesting is, is to look at the uh, sort of the reason for religion. What, what purpose does it serve? And there we begin to see uh, the sort of human construction, not only of religion, but of God's as part of a religion. And to me, there's just overwhelming evidence that humans constructed all of this, religion and, and God, as a belief system. Humans have what I call a, a belief engine. It's, you know, there's modules in the brain whose function it is to find causal connections between things in the environment. It's called learning. Everybody does it. You have to do it to survive. All animals do it. We do it spectacularly well, but not perfectly well. So. Uh, we are pattern-seeking animals, keeping track of when the migrating herds were going to come through next year at this time or when the fruit was going to be ripe, it's time to pick it. Those are patterns that help us survive. However, we also sometimes find patterns that don't really exist. These are sort of false positives, superstitions. Uh, oh, I believe that A is connected to B, meaning if I twirl around three times clockwise and twice counterclockwise, the rain gods will spare us the lightning, something like that. So the superstitious tendency, magical thinking we call it, is part of the baggage of being a, a, a really good learner, a, a pattern-seeking animal. You know, as we look over the history of the last I don't know, 100 years, 50 years, science is expanding and religion is contracting in its ability to explain the world. Yet religion in its power is even stronger today. How do you explain because that? Because the primary function of religion is not to explain the natural world. It's a very minor part. It really is mainly a social institution. And the very fact that science has completely taken over the explaining of the natural world from religion and religion has gotten even stronger tells us, oh, well then that wasn't its real power. People don't go to church on Sundays or temple or mosque to hear a lecture about the Big Bang or where did the stars come from or why is there so much diversity in the natural world? That's not why people go. They go for some other reason, for family, for society, for their group, their social group, to, to hear a, a, a message of inspiration about helping other people, about doing the right thing, about avoiding sin and so on. That's why people go. How do you see the future? Well, I, I do worry about the negative side of religion and its um, intermix with politics and social policy. That worries me a lot. I don't care what God's people believe in or how strongly they believe in them for their personal lives and what that means to them. I'm happy for them if that makes them happy. It's when you impose- In a patronizing it. way. Well, well, no, not really, in a respectful way. Uh, because I can't ultimately prove that my beliefs are absolutely true either from a scientific point of view. So, hey, we, you, know, you believe what you believe, I believe what I believe, let's go our separate ways. And can't we all just get along? 
go 10,000 years into the future, 100,000 years, do you still see religion in something similar to its current form? Probably. <laughs> My secular humanist friends would disagree with me and say, oh no, someday we'll move beyond religion. <laughs> yeah, well, maybe, but it sure doesn't look, the trend is the, going in the uh, opposite direction. <laughs> That's not where the trend line's going. So, you know, it's a nice ideology, but I don't think so. Religion can be explained without God. Nothing supernatural is needed to account for religious beliefs and behaviors. Even those who believe in God should accept this demonstrable truth. While arguments about God are philosophical and cosmological, those about religion are biological, psychological, and sociological. The methods of science can analyze religion, but is there residue? After doing the science, does anything religious remain? Frankly, I don't know, but this I do know. Even after explaining religion without God, nothing follows regarding the potential existence of an actual God. No analysis of human religion can ever disconfirm a supreme being. Conversely, anyone hoping to convince me that God exists should not hold up religions of the world as an affirmative argument. For me, institutional religion offers scant help for coming closer to truth. To watch complete conversations with over 100 of the world's leading thinkers on cosmos, consciousness, and meaning, visit our website, closertotruth.com.